Pal. Hey there, this is Pete Townsend from Norio Ventures, and this is episode 26 of Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at what makes them do what they do. Money Never Sleeps is kindly sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment, a specialist recruitment consultancy in fintech and financial services. In this episode, we talk to Anne O'D, founder and CEO of Silicon Republic, the go-to destination for those seeking to be informed on all things tech and innovation in Ireland, Europe, and further afield. Owen already knew Anne from his circles, and although this was my first time meeting Anne, it felt like it wasn't. You know how sometimes when you meet someone and you just get on right away? Well, this is one of those times. In the back of my mind, I was ready to get all rocket science on her, as my older sister is an actual rocket scientist, so I think I'm almost one by relation, not really. But it boiled down to an awesome chat with someone well-versed in entrepreneurship, as she's lived and breathed it for so long and you could just tell she's a helpful person. And I can dig that. So, enough spoilers, let's get on with it. Here we go again. Welcome to the 26th episode of Money Never Sleeps. We're here in the shiny new offices of our kind sponsor, Top Tier Recruitment, in Dublin Landings. We work Dublin Landings, to be exact. I'm Pete Townsend. And I'm Owen Fitzgerald. And we're here with Anne O'D, founder and CEO of Silicon Republic, co-founder. Co-founder, very important. can't get that wrong. Looking back (laughs) at your story. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you very much. So it's great to meet you. This is our first time shaking hands, like we did just a few minutes ago. Um, And I think with Silicon Republic, uh, with where you are in the industry, I think a lot of folks will know of you. um, And a lot of folks like me generally will click on your stuff when we see it posted in LinkedIn. But I have to confess that this morning was the first time that I put in my email address for your weekly email. I love to hear that. So um, I will be consuming a lot more going forward. Uh, but for our listeners, can you just tell us how you got to this point? I know it's been 17 years um, since you launched Silicon Republic with Brian, right? Brian McAuliffe? With Darren. Darren McAuliffe, sorry. Um, but just uh, tell us how you got here. Oh, gosh, it's such a long story. I'll try and start uh, halfway along, maybe. So I was working, I lived abroad for a long time. And when I came back to Ireland, I was working as a freelance journalist and fell very quickly into technology journalism because it was just, you know, pre dot com boom and bubble. Um, And it was the most exciting sector to be writing in. I started in property and moved really quickly over to technology and science. And then I met Darren when I was freelance. He was freelance as well. And we started doing, uh, I suppose, supplements for the newspapers because the Irish newspapers at that stage weren't writing much about tech and they hadn't recruited their technology journalists and all the rest of it. So we used to do the technology for the newspapers. Then myself and Darren sitting, I think, in his back kitchen um, in Kildare at the time, Um, started looking at online. Uh, This would be back in the 1990s. I'm showing my great Mm -hmm. age here, having spent a long time abroad before that. Um, And we decided that our readership, really the people who were really interested in the nitty gritty of the technology world and, you know, startups, as there weren't many of them around at that time, and kind of the technology industry, they were all online. They were the only people who were online, really. So we wanted to do something online. We started with a company called IT News and Media, Um, We launched Silicon Republic, the website, in 2001. Um, But, of course, there was no way of making money with an online publication in those days. So we had to keep on the side doing print and doing customer publishing and you name it. And it was really in 2011 that myself and Darren 
just focused, the two founders focused 100% on Silicon Republic. So that kind of gave the site the boost it needed and we redeveloped it and put a lot of work into the engineering of the background and all the rest of it. So really from 2011 on, um, we started multiplying in size. What was that trigger? What was... Uh, well, to go full time to, for this to be oh, all that you Oh, I'll tell you, you very do. honestly, I mean, the recession uh, was, was the trigger. The, we were doing all sorts of things and the recession really focused our minds and we decided we needed to focus on the strongest thing we were doing and the strongest thing we were doing by a mile was Silicon Republic. Okay. Uh, and that we needed to monetize it properly and come up with proper models. And um, Darren and myself have been working on that ever since and it's, it's made a huge difference. I mean, I think our readership has doubled in the last year, for okay. example, to give you an idea. Yeah, no, it's like with, with what's going on here in Ireland, it's not surprising at all. Well, I mean, the beauty is as well is that um, 60% plus of our audience is overseas. And that's where a lot of the growth is. Because, I mean, as you know... How do you get that? How do you achieve that yeah, growth? Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, certainly one thing that has helped is um, the flagship event we do in Sparfest every mm-hmm. year. And that involves traveling overseas a lot to talk to our speakers and our sponsors and you end up spreading the word quite a bit that way and people are kind of saying, gosh, I didn't know it was there and now they're you know, putting in their emails and getting the newsletter, etc. And then also just um, Inspirefest as well has brought in a whole new audience that didn't really know how much exciting progressive stuff was happening in Ireland and suddenly kind of Inspirefest made them realise that, you know, we were That's probably a, a little less conservative than they thought we were in Ireland. Yeah, know? yeah, that is a big theme. Uh, one of the events that I do with the guys from Fundrex, or the team at Fundrex, uh, it's called Adminnovate. Um, and the whole idea of Adminnovate is to inspire the next generation of leaders in the funds industry. Wonderful. Um, and the funds industry can be quite siloed because the role of the funds industry in Ireland in terms of its global responsibility, more or less, is to keep the lights on. Right. It's not to go, uh, you know, looking to, to for the next big thing. Um, and so they miss it a lot of the time. So we said, listen, we're going to open up these people's eyes. And when you start talking about things like Slack, which to me is kind of old school now, but they're like, what's that? What do you mean to cut down 90 percent of your email traffic? How do you do that? And it's like, yeah, these are the little things that people yeah. can start doing. And once you start opening people's eyes. It completely. And 100 percent. And that's kind of what we did with. Inspirefest is we were trying to look at science and technology differently and look at it from the point of view of the human being and putting the human being back at the centre of it and sort of, you know, stopping people, you know, worrying about AI, you know, artificial intelligence, thinking that, you know, our robot's going to take our jobs, you know, and old mm. cliches like that and look rather at how we're going to work alongside AI and how exciting it is and how blockchain is about more than just finance, that blockchain can be used, you know, for everything from music to media to, to you name it so it was really to kind of the other big thing with the surface was to cut down the silos between academia you know because their conferences tend to be very dry stuff <laughs> and most people i know in academia particularly around science and technology are not dry at all you yeah. know they're good fun and they you know they want to be looking to the future and looking at slack and, and you name it um, so the idea was to bring entrepreneurs, industry and academia all together and not in a dry conference space. So, you know, we I remember the first year we did it, we found a bunch of ties on seats afterwards. We were going, what's the story there? And we realized afterwards people had arrived in ties then realized what kind of an event it was. And they were <laughs> wow. kind of mortified. They were kind of mortified, so they were taking their ties off yeah. and then forgetting to bring them with them. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I found that. <laughs> That's like, a strange brilliant. signal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> they were enjoying themselves. <laughs> Burn the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. No, it's you funny, should, big bonfire out back. Just get everybody to throw them in. The other thing I should have said when you, you know when you were asking me there about you know what has caused the growth. The other big thing is talent. You know, yeah. so much of what we do is looking at the future of talent and looking at the kind of jobs and the kind of roles that you're going to have now, and that um, has just grown exponentially. Any time we write about careers in science and technology, Ooh. it just flies. You want a hard question? Oh, listen, I'm well used <laughs> yeah, to hard yeah, questions. No, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to answer I, it, and, but off um, you go. So I, I have a friend helping me with this one, and she's quite good, um, Lisa White, who is, she was on episode six or seven, I think. Yeah, she's, I did send that one. It's on, on my yeah, list. Yeah, I need to go back and listen. She's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and a, a contact of mine uh, hit me up with a question on LinkedIn uh, the other day, which was basically... Um, Pete, we're thinking about what our organization is going to look like in 10 years' time um, when we basically become a tech company. This is a financial services company. Um, And my first response was to go, well, listen, just kind of imagine the year 2025 and knowing the trajectory that tech is on right now, um, you know, just imagine what types of leaders you're going to need and what types of individuals you're going to need with that scenario in mind. Um, and how do you start working towards that? And I said that to Lisa White. She's like, no, Pete, you got it all wrong. I said, what do you mean? She's <laughs> like, whatever picture you paint now today is going to be outdated by the time the ink is dry. So what you need to do is start changing how the organization works in small increments, um, you know, uh, three months at a time really is the focus for that. Um, what's your word of advice for doing something like that when trying to bring a company to and I'm asking you this question because I saw in your LinkedIn profile, geez, I got to stop saying that. I think of advertising <laughs> for LinkedIn, you know, that a number of people in your network have validated you or, or, or said, yes, Anne is good at strategy. She's good at digital. You know, she's good at entrepreneurship. Um, so I know you're probably thinking about some of these kinds of things, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. No, we think about these things all the time. We think about them for ourselves, uh, you know, for our own company and for all of our clients, if you like, and all of our sponsors and the people who support what we do and our events. Um, so we think about the future of work morning, noon and night. It's, okay. it's absolutely crucial. I love Lisa's thinking. I think she's absolutely spot on. The idea that you can have any certainty of what a workplace is going to look like in 10 years time or what what was it 2025 you said which is a little less than that but I mean you can't you can't know what it's going to look like in three years time I think the really key thing is that the loss of control I think companies and organizations have to really recognize that they won't have the control they had at Mm. one time and to to go with that and and relax into it a little bit so you know I'll, I'll meet large organizations who again like won't allow their teams to use slack and things like that because yeah. you I'm using that example because you used it I mean that all has to change you know you're going to have entrepreneurs and groups within your organization you're going to have to let them use the technology they want to and use I th- and I think it's about encouraging that isn't it it's Absolutely. about empowering your employees and well, kind of letting them loose to a degree well they won't a they won't stay you know retention is the biggest issue when you've got a talent gap for a start and b they won't do their best work and they won't innovate and they won't communicate properly so you should be encouraging them to come to you it's this idea that uh, i think it was actually Sheryl sandberg who said it first in the, her famous lean-in book which mm. i'm not a, i'm not a huge fan of but she has some nuggets in it and she talks about reverse mentoring, which I'm a massive believer in. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I learn more every week from the people who are far younger than I am in, in my company. Oh, yeah. No, just the Than I do from yeah. anybody else. You know, it's crucial. And I think to set up in your organization a way to empower 
the people who've just come in to teach you, you know, that you can learn from them as well. So, I mean, there's some of very small thoughts on it, but I think the big thing is going to be that you're going to have to encourage your people to um, to do lifelong learning. You know, you, you want to employ the kind of people who want to be learning all the time and not always in formal education. You know, I, I, I meet people who tell me they're going to go back and do an MBA and I'm going... Are you sure that's what you need to do just at the moment? Is you know, I, I was talking to somebody incredibly who I would see as incredibly successful, and I was thinking, well, would you not go back and do a bit of anthropology or something yeah. like that? Because that sounds much more in fitting with you know what you're trying to do with your organization. Well, it's like company. sometimes people just think that you do a, a course like that, and you're just going to acquire knowledge, right? It's but to tick it, boxes. I think yeah. for the employer, I think it's the way a lot of people see it. Exactly. And, and I did and on that example, like I went back and started an MBA, but actually I was. Maybe I was surprised or naive thinking that I'd go into it meeting like entrepreneurs and stuff. But it was people like me at the time who thought that they would go and do this course and it would give them the knowledge. Whereas now I'm at a, like I, I had to take a break from it. Uh, one of my kids was born as always. It's usually when I take a break <laughs> yeah. from anything. Yeah. Um, How many are you at now? Oh, I have five now. So it's <laughs> a lot of breaks. It's a lot of breaks. Yeah, but uh, so, but I haven't gone back because I don't think I I didn't feel I was getting any value from it. Nor do I think it you know it's not in some ways not relevant to what i'm learning now or the information i pick up by working with any number of entrepreneurs you know i wouldn't necessarily recommend it to people at the moment in the format it's in now you see i think things like mbas are going to have to change because the world is changing far too quickly you know and i go back and i look at some of what people are studying in mbas and i'm going like that was relevant 15 years ago but the world is changing every five years now every year um, and in fairness to the, the institutions, it's very difficult for them to stay up to date yeah, and course. have case oh, yeah. studies that are still relevant. Like you look at some of the case studies and you're going, yeah, but that's To me, not, they have to be far more aligned with industry. Mm. And like, you know, a lecturer who's been doing a course 20 years mm. is not, yeah. unfortunately, not going to be up to speed on what's going on. And it's finding a way to bring in industry more into the, the learning, I, I think. agree more. And young industry and new yeah. industry, you know. But uh, the interesting thing as well is I say young industry, but a lot of the financial institutions are now trying to be tech companies. You know, yeah, they that's are. That's what they're doing. They're working on software and innovation. You know? Yeah, they are. They are evolving themselves. Um, and, you know, I think just this practice of just shipping um, your up and coming executives off to an MBA program. I mean, I did mine when I was 23. Uh, and that was a mistake. Um, now I finished it and I did really well, but I'm not sure one, how much I got out of that or two, how much I helped the teams and the projects that we had to work on just cause I was 23. Right? <laughs> and, I, and all the wealth of experience I did a pretty good program at Boston university and it was like, all right, I can figure this out, but I'm not going to get much out of it. What it got me was my next job, yeah. right? Yeah, my next job was the thing that, you know, uh, set me down a certain path. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, there are still benefits and the network, I think is what the yeah. other, the other thing that people argue that the network you gain from your class of 99 or whatever it is. How do you take all of these insights and deliver them to people through the published media? <laughs> well, with a great team for a start. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that we managed to get all those insights out, yeah. you know, because we're limited with numbers. You always are in publishing. You know, publishing is a challenging area. You know, some, as, as Darren always likes to say, as some, can you use the B word? In this yeah, show? of course. Some bastard decided the content <laughs> was free. <laughs> and we're all still yeah. suffering, you know, yeah. from, from that. So you're trying to get out 
high quality content and, you know, nobody's willing to pay for it. And I mean, that's the model. So, you know, you have to work with it. But it does mean that you don't do as much long reads and investigative stuff as you'd like to do. So we would be principally a news organization for that very reason. I mean, we've fantastic people like John Kennedy, who's our editor, Absolutely who you fantastic. guys will yeah. both have come across. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, you know, luckily he will he will go off and do some of that more in-depth stuff. Um, it's very difficult for the whole team to do it, though. So, so a lot of the time we're focusing on ensuring that all the relevant news is covered and not just the, you know, the press releases and the just headlines. Probably and the a challenge, and I suppose, the, in terms of you know might, what you might want to focus on or delve more deeper it into. Is. Of course it is. And it's one of the beauties of running events. Is, is what, what we try to do then is with the events we will do much deeper dives and there's wonderful content that comes out of that so I mean at the moment that's once a year and then we do salons around the world but they're a real opportunity to to get into the nitty-gritty of the future of work and the future of media and the fu- you know artificial intelligence and what it, it is really going to mean for us as opposed to the, all the awful scaremongering that goes on yeah, about it <laughs> which drives me nuts and what was the inspiration behind Inspirefest then? oh very good question <laughs> I like your alliteration there <laughs> um, we had been working I, I'll be honest it started out very much as a diversity play uh, we've kind of de- developed on from that you know I've been working in technology, I suppose, for years and years and years, and I just got a little bit tired of going to events where, you know, everybody was white and male and... Pale, male and stale. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, I, I don't even like using that expression because it sounds insulting and I, you know, I love guys, you're or just, great, but we... Or just a mantle. <laughs> That's not insulting. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is frustrating to to go to events where everybody looks exactly the same because they tend to say the same things then because it's, you know, they're talking to the same network the whole time. So even if it's just to shake up how you think, I mean, Anil Dash is one of our speakers in 2019. I'm sure you know the guy who's involved in Trello and everything. I'm so excited. I've been trying to get him over for about four years and the dates never worked. But he did an experiment. Gosh, he must have done it 10, 15 years ago. I think Twitter was barely happening um, and he did an experiment where he unfollowed his entire network and followed only women for a year. Now, he did that just to see would it change his point of view. And uh, he, um, he'll he tell you himself when you meet him in, in May, I hope. But um, we might get him on here, in yeah. fact. It would yeah, be a lovely absolutely. idea. Wouldn't I? I'll, yeah. I'll say it to him. Um, but he will tell you it completely changed his point of view. And it suddenly made him think differently even about the products they were developing. It's just that idea of... And the same thing when you're talking to people of colour or people of a different demographic background. You know, these are all your clients and your customers of the future if you're a startup or an entrepreneur. And if, you, if you're not including those people in the conversation... And you're, you're dead right. So myself and Pete... Pete interviewed me on last week's show. Um, so oh, I we, haven't listened yet. Is it is it published? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> okay. We recorded it uh, oh. today. <laughs> but um, but we were talking about, I suppose, to me, like the amount of meetings that I'll do with people who are outside of the what I'm being employed to do because it's a kind of diversity of thought is the way I look at it. And we Precisely. spoke about it when we met recently. Yeah. You know, I'm sure when you set out at the time, obviously it was diversity purely from a gender mm. point of view, but now it's, you know, mm. different thinking about stuff because... You know, why should we be limited? And I would find myself that sometimes it's the things that are way out there that might actually be applicable to you if you just think about how you could apply it. You know, when Phenomenal. I mean, I find that every year at the event, I literally take learnings back to our own organization. You know, when we're only a small business or a relatively small one anyway, it's, it's crucial that you're hearing different voices. And I just think, um, you know, in Ireland, we're late enough to the game of having new Irish. You know, we were like for years, we were a very sort of white Irish country you know it's so fascinating now to sit down with 
with people from completely different backgrounds. Oh, yeah. yeah, you got to open up your minds. Is, like phenomenal. You know, even in things like blockchain, like you mentioned before, um, you know, you start to see different trends evolving in different parts of the world on this. And there is an Asian view on it. And there's an American view and a, a European view. And an African view. Absolutely. Where they're mobile only, Absolutely. as you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. With, you know, I'm about to go deep into crypto land tomorrow, fly to US for the rest of the week to oh, help wow. a client, um, <laughs> you know, who's doing their initial fundraising tour. And I'm going to get a much different perspective on the whole view around blockchain and crypto, primarily crypto. Um, and what that all feels like, I just can't wait to have those conversations. So I'm already determined I'm going to bring back a top 10. Um, so the top 10 learnings from my trip through crypto land will hopefully be published in the next two weeks. Right? Absolutely. I'm looking for something. But no, I mean, it, it's... Um, you know, just prepping for this trip and seeing how much activity is actually going on at the near institutional level is just really eye-opening. And a lot of people are missing that. We had Shade Brett on last week, um, or sorry, the week before last. Um, and he was talking about crypto and digital assets. He has a business here called Gecko Governance. Um, and we really hammered down into that point. And he said it. He said, listen, he's seen it all before with hedge funds. Is that initially there's some beautiful exotic asset and there's a boom, but then a regulator comes in um, and it just gets added to the arsenal of financial services asset classes. Uh, and that's what will happen with crypto. And, um, you know, th there is already a view in Asia that's a little bit ahead of that, mm -hmm. right? But the view in Europe is a little bit, and I've always thought the view in Europe on any of these types of things can be a little bit choppy because of all the domestic markets that you have in Europe. And those domestic markets have their own buying decisions and buying be behaviors um, that differs from the rest of the world, right? It's like, a, a you know, the, the America's the big melting pot, I'm not going to come up with an analogy for what Europe is, but it's, you know. I mean, th this is the big challenge for European companies, isn't it, though? I mean, you, you launch something in the mm -hmm. US or in China, you have a massive market to test it out. Yeah. In, you know, I think it was, um, oh, what's his name? Founder of LinkedIn. It's a, I'm mentioning LinkedIn again. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Reed? Yes. Reed Hoffman. Yeah. Reed Hoffman. He was on... Um, Zareed on, on CNN last night um, and he was saying exactly that you know it's so much easier to launch a company from those big markets yeah. you know and that reaches out but that in Europe because you have so many disparate countries it's 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 always more challenging without question just thinking about the the, the full history of Silicon Republic right and uh, the first 10 years got you to 2011 um, and then that became your full-time thing was it at that point in 2011 that you realized you had something? Uh, or did it take a little bit longer after 2011 for that to sink in? I think it was um, it was Darren was talking to a really good, it was, it was earlier than that, was okay. talking to a really good friend of ours who would be kind of a mentor and advisor. And um, we were trying to do too many things at the time. So this was a little bit before 2011. And, and you know, we were talking about the various other things we were doing. And he said, well, what about the bull at the bottom of the field? You know, I don't know whether you know that expression. Yeah, it's an yeah, Irish yeah. expression. We were going, well, what, what does he mean by that? And he was talking about Silicon Republic and he was saying, you know, well, by a million miles, the most interesting and valuable thing you do, Silicon Republic, would you not just focus on that? And at the time, the other things we were doing, we were still bringing in better money. Mm -hmm. um, we were saying, oh, we'd love to, but we can't. And then in a funny way, the recession pushed us into to kind of refining down what it was that we were good at. Okay. 
Um, so that decision kind of went on between 2008 and 2011, I think. And then in 2011, we made That's the jump. Yeah. yeah. But what was that something, right? What was that, what was that one thing that you could hang a hat on where you say, this is going to happen? Oh, Silicon Republic. Oh, my gosh. As, well, as like, not that it's the rest of your life, you know. But well, I mean, like, I, think, I think when the traffic hit sort of quarter of a million users a okay. month, myself okay. and Darren went, okay, hang on a second, we're doing yes. something right here. Yeah. This, is, this is working. You got a big audience. We've got a good team. We've actually, this is quite a niche subject, science, technology, and innovation, and we've got a, a decent audience. Exactly. And it's obviously. And what what have you found then then in the entire period from a personality point of view that's either helped or kind of hindered? What have you learned about yourself on the journey? Well, I mean, I learned loads. I mean, I suppose at the very beginning, I mean, the only reason I am an entrepreneur really is because because Darren would have pushed me to 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 found the company with him like I would have hesitated at the time I was very comfortable freelancing there weren't that many of us who were really good on the tech front so we were all making a mint you know just being freelance and being flown all over the world because it was that was the way it was in those days um but he in- really encouraged me to think in terms of well why don't we do it ourselves you know instead of working for somebody else why don't we actually nobody's doing it properly why don't we do it ourselves properly so I mean I I would have to give him a huge amount of credit for that you know and it pushed me into into doing it because that my biggest hindrance always would have been that I was absolutely paralyzed by shyness when I was younger um, and funnily enough I think my was saying the same thing like (laughs) I would be an introvert by nature so it was a big deal for me to suddenly go from just doing the meetings a bare minimum of what I had to do you know to work as freelance to suddenly getting out there and meeting people and then ultimately standing up on stage and interviewing everybody from Kara Swisher to you know to Cindy Gallup and and being confident about it so that would be my biggest challenge was you know resisting the temptation to just stay at home and let somebody else do it you know Yeah, and obviously you lean a lot on Darren, right? But oh, well, he's amazing. Who, who yeah. else? Who yeah. else do you lean on? Yeah, well, we lean on each other without yeah. question. Um, God, I lean a huge amount on the team. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't even want to to mention one or two names. It, it probably wouldn't be fair. But the team we have in there, like, it's taken a while to get the right team in there. Mm. But they're just absolutely awesome. Like, they're just, and I mean that hundred percent. Now, that's not plumos. Like, we've such a crack team in there. Like, John and Elaine and. Eva and the rest of them, they're, they're just amazing. I'm going to ask this question with kind of knowing the answer, but how do you, how do you inspire them? <sighs> well, I mean, I hope, I think, I, well, I think, again, I think we inspire the team by being values-led. You know, we're not, uh, we've never been in it uniquely for the money. We're great believers in business. We don't think there's anything wrong with money or profit or anything like that. We're not social entrepreneurs, but we both would have very strong value. It's very values-led Silicon Republic. I don't know whether that's obvious from the outside. I suppose InspireFest makes it fairly obvious, but I'm not sure if Silicon Republic makes it obvious. Um, And people want to work places that have kind of purpose and meaning and value. And, And I mean, that's why the team work with us. I'm sure they could make twice the money with one of the big multinationals, but they love what they do and they do it because they know what we're trying to achieve you know they know we're kind of trying to change the world in our own small way and they want to be part of that and they just get to be themselves and they 100% get to be themselves that's really probably the most important thing in management in my view I think the idea of not being able to bring your entire self to work just makes me cry like I mean what are you I mean how do you expect to get the best out of people if they're 
If they're having to pretend something yeah. about themselves. Yeah. Well, that was the answer that I thought was going to be to the question. <laughs> was, how do you inspire people? <laughs> and I wanted you to just say to be yourself, right? Oh, and, and that's how you do it. You just, you're just Anne, and that is inspiring, yeah, right? Yeah. And we all are. We, we, yeah. We're all ourselves in there. And it's honestly, it's such good fun when you are yourself as well, you know, because you're just, it's so much more relaxing. Like we end up, we don't have that much office politics or fights or anything like that because everything is just fairly. Frank, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we could sit and talk for hours, I'm sure, but uh, we usually like to wrap up by asking one thing, and that's what is it that <laughs> people don't expect to know about you? Uh, that I'm an absolute passionate bird watcher, I suspect. Oh, really? Yeah, I suspect people so don't my know uncle. that about me. <laughs> that's interesting. Shout out to Uncle Doug. Yeah, he's a bird watcher. Hi, Doug. Yeah. How'd that start? Oh, again, um, I don't know, really, just always a huge love of nature and biodiversity. And, you know, that probably comes across in Silicon Republic as well. Like we, we would be very into the whole area of climate change and the environment and that sort of thing. And I mean, I can't think of any better manifestation than the birds and the bees. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and people talk about mindfulness. But for me, I don't practice strictly practice mindfulness. But like when I walk down the beach with the dog and and hear curlews down the other yeah. side of the field. Like that to me is mindfulness, you know, to I, stop and listen to that. You know? I didn't know what it was, right? And oh, not, isn't it sorry, the most amazing sound? Niall Dennehy was talking about it when he was on. He practices mindfulness. And I said, okay, I get that. And my wife and I are away last weekend at, at Farnham Estate. Um, and we're walking and it's so quiet. And we're not saying a word to each other. And she's like, Pete, this is mindfulness. I'm like, what do you mean? She's <laughs> like, you're just kind of taking it all in and you're not really doing much else i said oh yeah this is pretty cool that's you my version you of mindfulness yeah, too yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. and and the birds are part of that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it was yeah it was dead it was dead silent yeah, it was dead silent yeah. but, okay well thank you Wen. thanks for thank coming very on the much. show great to chat so that wraps things up for this episode but hang on we'd like to thank Anne for opening up her mind for the 25th episode of money never sleeps a podcast brought to you by norio ventures and owen fitzgerald and sponsored by Top Tier Recruitment. You can find out more about Anne by following her on Twitter at Anne O-D-S-R. That is A-N-N-O-D-E-A-S-R. And by digging into SiliconRepublic.com. We highly recommend you do just that. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to Money Never Sleeps on Transistor.fm, iTunes, Spotify, or on your favorite online media channel and leave us a review. Each one helps. You can now access all the Money Never Sleeps episodes through a link on the podcast page on the Norio Ventures website, which is norioventures.com. If you're an entrepreneur with a story to tell anywhere in the world, because we can now record remotely, drop us a line using the contact form on the Norio Ventures website. Besides this podcast, we help founders build their ventures. So check out norioventures.com to learn more and get in touch. Finally, we'd like to thank Conan Brophy from Create Sound for recording and editing this podcast. And thanks to Top Tier Recruitment for hosting us at WeWork's new location at Dublin Landings. Wonderful offices, Paul and Laura. Thanks again for having us. Till next time, thanks for listening. See ya! <laughs>